Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I love that movie. Every week you get like a little bonus episode with things I'm watching that week, and lately we've been covering WandaVision, so I have you know, interviews on there each week covering every episode until we get to the end. And then I think we're going to do Falcon Winter Soldier. So anyway, if you want more content, that's a good place to get it. I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons and they are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, Philip Barker, and Jeff Whitman. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Uh, And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Well, I've got a familiar voice on the podcast. I've got Christopher R. Mim back. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> and Christopher, you, you know, typically the format of the show, if you haven't listened before, is that, you know, the guest picks a movie. We talk about that movie. Uh, this time we are actually covering your newest movie that came out uh, fairly recently on Blu-ray. Um, in, uh, and it is called The Phantom Lake Kids and the Unseen Invasion. Yep. Yep. And uh, for those of, uh, you know, for again, you've been on the show quite a few times, but if people haven't heard you on the show before, would you mind introducing yourself real quick? Sure. So I am an independent filmmaker, and I've been making movies since 2006, and I put out one a year, and they're all done in a very specific retro 1950s style. Uh, I started with The Monster of Phantom Lake, and since then I've done... Like I said, a movie a year since. Uh, and this one is the 15th released movie. Gosh, uh, wow. The, yeah. Uh, so and we got another one coming out here later this year, and we're working on another one. And, yeah, we're, we're keeping busy. <laughs> and, you know, I actually I got a, do- uh, a document in the mail, a certificate from you, uh, yeah. because I contributed to your movie. So you uh, crowdfund these. Yes. And uh, so I got a, a document here that says, you know, thank you. And it's signed. It's really cool. I don't think I've gotten one of these before. So I was like, yay, this is really, it's just really fun to be a, a part of that process. Uh, I don't know a lot of other filmmakers do that specifically. And what it is, is it's, it's just a little thing I started doing when I started doing the crowdfunding back in 2010, which crazy to say that but back in 2010 <laughs> uh i the first movie we crowdfunded was called destination outer space and i wanted to do something 
beyond, um, you know, people can pre-order copies of the movie on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. I wanted to do something that would be kind of um, a physical, you know, uh, gift that you would only get for just contributing to the film. And yeah. uh, so I started doing these these little certificates that is, you know, they're nice professionally printed little certificates that have like a the poster on it and a little thing saying your your name, you know, contributed to this production. And then I sign it with the year. And I was just thought it was kind of fun to do something like that as a just a little bonus. I mean, I know I like I personally like when I get stuff like that that you can kind of put on your wall and. You know, like, oh hey, yeah, look. I'm gonna frame mine. I yeah. love it. It's great. I mean, seriously, that's really cool. So I've done it every every time. So I don't know that there's anyone out there who has them all, but I know there are <laughs> people out there who do have quite a few. Gotcha. So this particular movie, um, I was gonna read the synopsis of it really quick, and then we can kind of dive in and talk about it a little bit more. So again, it's the uh, the Phantom Lake Kids and the Unseen Invasion. Stuck in their house during a government-mandated worldwide quarantine, the Phantom Lake kids are shocked when most of the gang inexplicably disappears in a flash of light, then reappears moments later. When Alice doesn't return, the rest must meticulously and hilariously unravel the mystery behind her disappearance and the invisible forces behind it. Could it be aliens? Could it be? <laughs> Could it be? Um, so... Why don't you talk a little bit? So, you know, this does say the Phantom Lake Kids. Can you tell us a little bit about the Phantom Lake Kids? Sure. So the concept of the Phantom Lake Kids goes back to my 10th um, film, um, Danny Johnson Saves the World. And see, here's the thing about my movies, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, they all exist in a shared universe, much like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, everything is connected in a way uh, that... If you only see one, you shouldn't be lost. But if you see them all, you start seeing all the connections between them. And uh, the first film, I, I, I made a movie um, that came out in 2009 uh, called Terror from Beneath the Earth. And in it, it introduced this the Johnson family. And there's a kid in it named Danny Johnson, who is played by my son, Elliot. Uh, and he played it when he was only five, right? Yeah. And uh, he was just this cute little kid. Uh, and... Five, like uh, five or six years after that, he was 12 at the time. We made this movie called Danny Johnson Saves the World, which is, um, you know, him as a 12 year year old basically saving the world from aliens who are puppets. And it was kind of a kid's movie, uh, kind of a stealth Christmas movie at the same time. And uh, we had a really good time doing it. And in the process of making that, we added a bunch of other characters, uh, including... Um, basically all my kids uh, as characters, uh, this gang of, of kids in this fictional universe I've created um, who are growing up in this crazy world where monsters and aliens and things exist. And so <laughs> Danny Johnson Saves the World turned out to be kind of a somewhat popular film in the the catalog. And I, I had a lot of fun, you know, creating that movie with my kids, right? And so... In there's a long story to get to where I'm going, but it's it's getting there. Um, oh no, you're <laughs> uh, you're a good storyteller, right? So in 2019, uh, I was going to shoot a movie called uh, That Which Lurks in the Dark, and 
it kind of fell apart in the the pre-production phase. Uh, there was some scheduling conflicts and just stuff didn't work out. And I started um, then as as a replacement movie to keep my movie a year coming out because I needed to shoot something in 2019 to release in 2020. Uh, I started writing this. Someone had given me actually Michael Cross, our, our good friend, uh, gave me this uh, idea saying, you know, I should make a Scooby Doo movie. Basically, oh, that's uh, such a good idea. I know. And it worked. And I was like, you know, I could take the kids from Danny Johnson Saves the World because they're all getting older and basically make them into like the Scooby gang. And we started talking about how to make that work. And it was after that, which looks in the dark, the first time started to fall apart. I was down in the DFW area doing a screening of one of my movies at the draft house. And, and Michael and I started talking about how to make it work. And he said, he gave me an idea for something, you know, it's It's gotta be, there's gotta be a mayor and all these things. And I was like, wait, there it is. And from there it kind of snowballed into this, this idea for a script that I wrote very quickly because it all kind of came together. And sometimes they do, uh, called the phantom Lake kids in the beast walks among us. And the phantom Lake kids is basically the same gang of kids from Danny Johnson saves the world. And I wanted to sort of brand them a little bit like, you know, our gang or little rascals kind of a thing. Right. I definitely got that little rascals vibe. <laughs> right. And so, uh, I wrote this script and we started filming it and we put it together and it's this great movie, the beast walks among us. And we were supposed to release it in at the end of April, 2020. Well, wow, that didn't happen. <laughs> Everything yeah, no kidding. fell apart. So I had to postpone it and I have, uh, and I was like, well, okay, I don't have a movie to release this year. Uh, and I, I like doing live events for world premieres. Uh, we've done a, a live premiere for every movie except the unseen invasion. Um, since the beginning at the same theater, roughly the same time of year. And it was like, you know, it's tradition. And a lot of people worked on the beast walks among us. And, and, you know, I want people to, I want people to see it in a movie theater with their friends and family and experience it, uh, you know, at a movie theater you know at an event and so when that fell apart uh, i was like well you know worst case scenario i could always release uh the beast walks among us later in the year digitally um which i i had avoided doing up till that point um uh but i was like you know i gotta i don't i want to keep my one movie a year thing going uh it's just a started out as just a thing I do and now it's just a goal I want to keep just because I've been doing it for 15 years why not keep doing it um, right. and so when everything sort of fell apart I was at the time finally filming that which lurks in the dark and that fell apart again so I got about a third of that shot and then we had to stop and I wow. was like uh, worst case I can release the beast walks among us this year digitally but what do I release next year if I have nothing in the, you know, coming together, if I can't make the movie I would already started. And I realized that, you know, the Phantom Lake kids all basically live with me, right? <laughs> An They're easy all cast. my kids. Uh, and then the neighbor kid who has been literally lives next door, a, a kid named Caleb Frank, who's the best friend of my son, Elliot. Um, and, we have kept sort of a little COVID pod amongst our two houses um, because I work from home, you know, the, the neighbors work from home. We, we kept it very small, partially for our own sanity, but just because it worked out. Uh, and I was like, you know what? 
we could shoot another movie just for fun um, and and do it up sort of as a little nod to what's happening in the world. But also uh, the last event I did was all con down in DFW area. Um, I was there. Last, yeah, last <laughs> year, the one day we did it and then I got shut down. Uh, I was talking to some some local folks down there and someone even mentioned like you should do a movie about invisible aliens that that do something. And I'm like, that's a great idea. And so I kind <laughs> well, of I remember we were talking about um, them, right? Yeah. And, and, and we were like, wow, weird. You know, we just started talking about this movie about, you know, all, all this stuff being up, you know, but when that movie was a monster movie, but we're like, well, this feels like a sci-fi movie. So yeah, I can see how a lot of people are reaching out to you with ideas because it, it yeah, well, yeah. definitely feels like one. So I started just talking to the kids because we obviously at the beginning when all this went to hell, it was like, well, what do we do? What, what, you know, what, what, what's going on? You know, <laughs> yeah. And so, I started talking to the kids uh, about the idea of like, what if I write a script that's about basically an invasion of invisible aliens and you guys are stuck in the house and you have to fight them off. Uh, and they were all really excited. And I think it gave them something to do uh, that was somewhat familiar, but also fun um, during a time when it was very like scary and weird and just unusual. Right. right. And so everyone sort of jumped on the idea and I just went to work and started writing a script. And like every day I was, I was, the kids would wake up to more pages and we would go back and forth and, and they had ideas and I had ideas and, and, you know, finally we had a script and it was like, so we're we going to do this. And all the kids were like, let's do it. They're all excited to do it. We gave them something to do um, when we couldn't really go do anything. And so we started shooting the movie about, a, I don't know, maybe a month later. And because the kids were all going to school from home and I was working from home and it was just like we had nothing to do and nowhere to go, uh, we shot it really quickly. Because <laughs> everything we shot was here in our house um, or just outside the house. And we were just able to get it together really fast because we didn't have to worry about you know, scheduling Schedules, issues. Yeah. It was like, well, I guess we'll shoot tomorrow night because we have nothing else to do. And so we shot <laughs> it all in about, I don't know, five weeks, which is very fast for one of my movies. Um, usually because I'm shooting around other people's schedules. Um, you know, if people have to work, we'll just shoot on the weekends, that kind of thing. But this, we were just like, well, we'll shoot on Tuesday, then on Friday, and we'll shoot on Sunday. You know, it was just like, we were constantly shooting stuff and having lots of fun doing it. And, you know, we shot it really fast and then I really didn't have much going on work wise because usually a lot of my time is, is, you know, spread between, you know, making movies, editing, shooting, but then out promoting them. And since I couldn't go out and promote, I had all this time. And yeah. so I just poured myself into making the movie and finished it quite quickly. And it's a small movie. It doesn't require a lot of special effects or locations and stuff so it was very easy to put together and 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 you know it's a small movie that's the point <laughs> and so uh it just came together really fast and i realized um by the time i finished it which was probably mid to late september i was like you know what i can release this movie this year uh if i just do it by 
I, I did it uh, two days before Christmas. And then I could just put off the Beast Walks Among Us and hopefully, uh, if everything goes well, maybe we can do a live premiere of that movie still. Yeah. Uh, and if it works out, it'll be great. If not, I'm just going to release it digitally this year, which will be disappointing. But at the same time, it's like, I at least got something to release already. Uh, and, you know, now we're we're working on another Phantom Lake Kids movie just to sort of complete the trilogy because why the hell not? I mean, why not? You've got you've got a very willing and available crew, and right. and and to get them while they're while they're still kids too. I mean, you know, like that's. I mean, it's weird because they're going to be your movies, but they're also going to be like a time capsule of yeah their oh, yeah. childhood. Like that's crazy. Like, that's like watching um, the, for me, like Danny Johnson saves the world. Um, in the new movie, The Unseen Invasion, there's a character that uh, a lot of people have really come to like named butch and he's kind of a a crazy he's he's the most fun character to write for because he's just off the wall and <laughs> they'll do and say stuff that's completely just bizarro half the time and so he ends up throwing everybody off he ends up being a lot of the the com, you know the comedy relief and stuff and so he's really fun to to write and he's played by my my son david who's 11 now and he actually appeared, that character actually appeared in Danny Johnson Saves the World in 2015. We shot that in 2014, and he's like four years old. So he's this Aww. little kid, right? And so now watching Danny Johnson Saves the World, it's like, wow, they were so little. Look at them. And now They're like all up. 12, and he's 18 years old now. That's crazy. Well, I have like a lot of thoughts hearing this story. Like, you know, number one... I, I didn't realize that that Michael kind of gave you the germ of the idea, although oh, yeah. I'm not surprised because he was like an idea machine. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was always throwing ideas at me. <laughs> um, but I love that. And Scooby-Doo, because I feel like he was a big Scooby-Doo fan as well. But that's pretty ingenious. Uh, and also, you know, I, I don't know, just like the 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 fact that you guys were stuck at home and then you make a movie like you're one of those people that they talk about you know they're like oh Shakespeare wrote this when you know during a plague quarantine so and so did this and I'm like I haven't done anything like you did you made a movie that's pretty cool I you know honestly I just didn't know what else to do it was like well I don't I don't know what else to do with my time although there is <laughs> there is another thing I started doing uh, with my spare time which is that uh, before I started making movies I was a, a programmer um, and have been for many years. Um, and I did a lot of, you know, uh, web programming and, and, you know, um, a lot of database management and crap that bores me. Um, but I always like programming computers. I've done that since I was a little kid, actually. Uh, and we're talking way back, right? Uh, eighties <laughs> kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm quite, I'm decent as a programmer, right? So I understand programming languages and how to program things. And one of the things I've always wanted to do was make a video game, like an old school Nintendo style video yes. game. Yes. And uh, during this this quarantine, um, my youngest son David said, "You should make a, a video game while we're while you have all this downtime." And I was like, "Well, how do I do that?" He's like, "I don't know. I bet you if you look into it, you could figure it out." And so I did. I started looking into it, and I found a piece of software that a lot of independent video game developers uh, have used to create games that uh, you can buy on like the Nintendo Switch now. 
uh, or on like, uh, you know, the Xbox or a PlayStation. And I was like, holy crap, I could do that. And so I downloaded this, a trial of this software and it's, it's with the amount of programming knowledge I had, I was able to jump in basically head first into the deep end and really start creating something. Wow. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, so I started making a game that's basically based on David's character, Butch, uh, <laughs> uh, in basically doing kind of a Mega Man, Mario Bros. style sort of romp through my movies. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I think your franchise is perfect for a video game, to be honest. I, I love that idea. Well, and the game is really fun. It's actually turning out way better than I thought it would. <laughs> Like it's, yes. it's quite difficult <laughs> in the way that old school games should be where it's still fun, but it also, there are moments where you want to throw your controller at the TV. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it really did seem to work out and it was so, uh, aside from making movies, it was like, well, at least during this quarantine, I got to re realize another long lifelong dream of mine, I guess. Uh, I just hope that I can release the damn thing cause it's, I bit off more than I can chew, but I'm, you know, I'm halfway in, so I'm not, I can't stop now. I would, I will pay top dollar for that game. So please keep me updated. Um, uh, bet. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, of course. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my new thing is it's, it's expanding the Mimiverse into other media, basically. Hey, you know, into a uh, content, you know, yes. cause it seems like we're moving from the word movies to content. So. Pretty soon it'll be, I love that content. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to this movie. Um, so, you know, you completed this film. I I actually bought, like I said, I contributed and you get a Blu-ray and then I forgot that and I bought another Blu-ray. So I got two Blu-rays. And <laughs> when it came in the mail, I was like, oh, I did do that. So I gave my dad one too, so he can watch it as well. But um, what, out of this film, like what are some of like your favorite scenes or parts what were some of the fav your favorite things to write for or make when you were putting this together well i think one of the things that was really fun about this movie in particular to write was uh finding the 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 distinct voices of each character um with uh with it being sort of in essence the third movie using some of these characters um you know some of them, like Danny Johnson as a character, really kind of had his own personality already. But some of the other ones were just, they weren't really worked out much before I started writing like The Beast Walks Among Us and then moving further into this one. And so it was really fun as a writer to be able to flesh out exactly who and what each character does and says and re the way they react and, you know, um, adding just weird touches to it and, and just coming up with stupid stuff. I mean, that's the thing is that there's <laughs> pretty much a three stooges esque, you know, you know, like I said, little rascals, classic slapstick comedy era, you know, aspect to a lot of this. Um, but again, yeah. that's, uh, but again, that's, that's again, that's Scooby-Doo, right? You have uh, Shaggy and Scooby are the comic relief basically. Uh, and, then you have, you know, Velma, who's the smart one. And so it's kind of like some of that working out was really fun just to put together of like the Billy Blue character is we decided he's he's basically a conspiracy theory theorist type. And 
you have the Evelyn character who is really the only person who takes anything seriously uh, <laughs> and tries to save the day, whereas uh, all the boys are basically kind of uh, goofballs, right? Uh, she's the one who's like, guys, we need to focus and take care of the aliens that are invading. And they're just like, but we're hungry, you know? So it's like <laughs> all this goofiness. So it was really fun to sort of uh, develop that further. And then just trying to shoot stuff um, was really interesting. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a good blooper reel on stuff of just the kids cracking up as they <laughs> messed, messed around or would screw up their lines or, or you know, there's a whole scene in the movie, which is probably the hardest one to shoot, but is one of my favorite movies in the uh, favorite scenes in the movie where um, there's an invisible alien that isn't particularly scary. And that's part of the point is that it's, it's just goofiness where um, the butch and chip characters who are the, in essence, Shaggy and Scooby uh, start <laughs> playing baseball with bread rolls. Uh, and that was really fun to shoot. Um, but took a long time to get everything right because it's it's just it's goofiness and it's a lot of slapstick and you got to get the mood of it just right and you know um, my son Dan who plays Chip uh, can be really shy and he had to really kind of come out of his shell to do some of the jokes and goofiness in it and he took to it but at the same time it was like sometimes I could tell he was just like all right is that good enough can we stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah, I have to say, you know, oh, this is like so many thoughts to get into one sentence. But essentially, when uh, in the past, every year you came down to Dallas and at least a couple times a year, sometimes several times a year, and you would do a screening, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, uh, and, and we've talked about on here on the show, you know, um, we would all come in person uh, to see it at the theater and we would dress up. So it was like a cosplay event too. Um, and we'd all like get dinner. I mean, it was like just a fun experience and something that I definitely really missed this year. Oh, and, um, you know, I didn't see this when it premiered. I believe it was in December. I was moving. So I probably just yeah was not, I mean, that was like, first of all, a nightmare move, but anyway, I won't get into that. <laughs> It's like the longest move of my life was like a whole month. But um, when this came in the mail, I feel like I was kind of, you know, I don't want to say like at a low point, but I the COVID fatigue um, or pandemic fatigue rather had really set in for me. And then this kind of like popped up in the mail and I was like, oh, and so I was like, oh, yay, I can finally watch this now. And so I put it in and, you know, the tone is just so warm and it's so fun. And these kids are, you know, hilarious. Um, and it was sort of like the pick me up I needed, like at the right moment. And even though I wasn't there in person with with you, with, you know, with everybody, um, I really appreciated, you know, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but you have a lot of, you know, you mentioned you have a shared universe, but there's kind of, there's some little like, I don't know how you'd phrase this, like bits that you do in each movie. Is that how yes. you'd, you know, like uh, with the, the, go ahead. No, that it, it, yeah, there's, um, because it is a shared universe and because I write and direct all these movies, um, there are things that have developed over time that have become sort of in jokes. Yes. That, uh, you have to see a couple movies to realize it's an in-joke. 
um, <laughs> that some of which are very subtle in ways that I always kind of find fun. Like when we do live events, say when we do a premiere, like one of the things we do in every movie is if there's a flashlight. Yes, I was going to mention this if you didn't. Twice. <laughs> yeah. They, they turn. They look right on the beam. They turn it on. They turn it off. They turn it back on. And that was just a stupid thing we started doing, but it's in like every movie <laughs> a flashlight now. And so when we show uh, like the movie, like at the premiere, when we do the premiere, you'll have like um, a good chunk of the theater are people who've seen multiple movies and they get the in-jokes. And like that, that'll happen in the movie and people will cheer. And then you have other people who are like, why the hell are these people cheering? I what? think like the first time everyone was like laughing at certain things uproariously. And I was like, so confused. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? But it's like, after a couple of times, you're like, okay. And you're like anticipating waiting. And like me or Nick will be like, oh, this happened. Oh, this is about to happen. Like you, you anticipate them. And uh, that was something that I didn't even think of when I was watching it at home. Cause I watched it like, honestly at home alone at the time, uh, I think Nick was at work and I was still, you know, at home. So I watched it and I found myself laughing at all those moments that I would have been laughing at in the theater with a crowd. And it was like, that's, I don't know, that was, that was really nice. And something that I hadn't even thought of, you know, didn't anticipate. So, um, that kind of helped me feel like I was in the theater a little bit. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the things that, I've always tried to foster with the movies just um, in keeping them all connected in the way that they are is I call it the, the, the sort of the fandom thing, the, the Star Trek thing where it's like, you know, <laughs> one of the best things I always like about Star Trek, because uh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, is like watching Star Trek and then having the writers throw in a little reference to something that only you get because you've seen every single episode of Star Trek. Absolutely. You know and so you feel like you're kind of part of that community of, of like, hey, I get that, right? You feel mm -hmm. a little like it's 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 kind of comforting in a weird way, right? It uh, is, yeah. And so part of that is just um, trying to foster some of that within the universe. And honestly, I've been doing it so long, it feels like if I don't do these things, something will be missing. You know, it's like for sure. And but you know, what's funny about it is that I, I can see how you were influenced by Star Trek. But I also it kind of reminds me of something that would happen like at a, a live viewing at like Rock, Rocky Horror. Like it's oh, so yeah. because it's funny, too. So it's like funny and it's uh, quotable. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, dear God, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of lines, right, that you guys use. Uh, or th that are used in a lot of these movies. And so it's like, in that way, it's like, I don't know, it's like, it is like the Star Trek thing, but it's also like, it reminds me of some of those like live movie showings where people quote along and like clap at certain moments and all that kind of stuff too. Well, and it's funny. It's like, uh, not that I, I, uh, I think the, the familiarity of it sometimes is, is what I think sometimes keeps people coming back. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, um, you know, I try to make all my movies somewhat unique uh, and I try to do different things with each one and try to, you know, try different things. And, you know, sometimes they're darker, sometimes they're funnier, sometimes whatever. Um, but they all kind of fit the same bill, right? They're all familiar uh, enough so that if you get into it and you've seen a bunch, you start to sort of feel, you know, uh, that com a, a sense of comfort with it. It's like... Uh, when you have like uh, bands or something that like 
you know, put out album after album and they all sound vaguely the same. And then they decide to try something crazy different. And then people are like, this is terrible. <laughs> right. You know, You're it's, like, it's not terrible. It's just different, but it's just different. Yeah. People want people, not that they want the same thing, but it's like anything, um, you know, why are we still, you know, why is the Mandalorian so great, you know, so well loved? Well, because it's familiar. It's mm-hmm. new, but it's familiar. It's still Star Wars. And, and, you know, we get Jedi and, you know, we got the, the Mandalorian and all these things and, you know, baby Yoda and all this stuff. Uh, and so it's familiar. It's comforting. And during especially the last year, I think those kinds of things are extra important. Uh, of sort of that, like you said, it sort of felt like oh, I was back in the theater again. Uh, it's that sort of like this is a piece of something that I recognize and it's part of, you know, you, I mean, you came to a lot of screenings. You've seen a lot of my movies. So uh, I felt it was kind of important with the Unseen Invasion in particular to make something light and fun that would be kind of comforting. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I can't remember who it was, but one time I had a discussion with someone where they were like, you're so lucky because you're in Dallas and like you can, you know, meet up with all your, you know, movie friends all the time, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know, honestly, it's not like that <laughs> because <laughs> prior to this, I, I would try like, and, you know, shout out to people like Jeff, um, who I'm sure is listening. He, uh, he came to a couple of my meetups, but they were like kind of sad. Like I would, I tried to cross over the, I love that movie energy into like in-person stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because everyone's got like different schedules. And I think they yeah. thought of it as some, just something they listened to. And they were very interactive as long as it like stayed online, you know. Um, but I craved sort of like an in-person interaction with like other movie fans. And I think oh, yeah. because your films are such a love letter to old movies, uh, they draw that crowd. And so you it's kind of like a win-win situation where you go to see that movie, but then you also end up meeting a lot of people that happen to like something that I almost feel like has become niche. Like I've talked to, um, you know, I've talked, I've had Bart on here a few times and um, I believe he's mentioned before that like people aren't as interested in old movies as they used to be. And, you know, it's like kids are like, focused on like the new stuff and they don't really want to talk about that older stuff. And it's kind of like a challenge getting them to like open their minds to that. So I think that was another problem I was having where my friends are very supportive and, you know, people listen to the show, but they were kind of like, I don't really want to hang out and talk about old movies. So your films, because they're an homage to old movies, it pulls in that really niche crowd. And then you Mm. suddenly have a bunch of people to talk to that care about this thing that you very much also care about. And it's also the same crew of people that are like, I want movie theaters to go on forever. So it's like literally, you know, win-win. So I really have to credit, you know, your films uh, and and you for, you know, creating that kind of environment. And and even though it isn't like a huge crowd or whatever you would call it, although your movies did have a big crowd, but you know what I mean? (laughs) It's kind of a niche thing. So it's interesting over the years of, of doing this, of, of learning things like it's always, it's always pulling teeth to get people to come out to do anything. (laughs) Um, That's the funny thing about, you know, being sort of forced into like isolation and a quarantine is like, it sucks because you have to, but at the same time, when you think back, it's like, I don't know that I necessarily always wanted to go do stuff, 
I just hate the fact that I don't have the option to turn it down <laughs> because I could go. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's it's really interesting because uh, I don't know. It's just it's people have lives. Uh, they have stuff sure. to do. They you know they get worn out. They have to work. They don't necessarily always want to go out and be presentable. I mean, I get that. So. Uh, I always just tried to approach it where it's like, hey, if we get enough people to make it, make the theater want to keep doing it, um, we've succeeded. I mean, it's like we didn't have to sell it out. We didn't have to become like mainstream success is not something that I think I will ever achieve. And I'm okay with that. Same, Um, hard same. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like, uh, I mean, I make black and white monster movies. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not making you know, crowd pleasing, big budget, you know, Hollywood movies that will sell well in China. I mean, it's just, I'm, that's not what I do. And that's <laughs> yeah. okay. I'm just, I just want to be able to, for me as an artist, and I, I talk about this all the time, as long as I can, um, make a, maybe a, a even a modest living doing it, but as long as it's sort of self-sustaining and doesn't destroy, you know, my finances in the process, but as long as it, there's enough demand that I can keep making movies and I'm not going into debt to do it. Uh, I feel like I'm succeeding. Uh, as long as I can build a, you know, a small group of people who enjoy what I do and, and maybe they bring in new people and people come and go all the time. I mean, it's 15 years is a long time to be doing any one thing. Uh, and, and so there were fans early on who I've, I haven't heard from in 10 years and there have been people that have been around for 10 years and there's been people who come and go and that's, that's just the natural sort of course of everything, sure, right? That's yeah. And so, you know, for me, as long as I can just keep doing it and I'm still having fun doing it and I'm still meeting people and having a good time, I feel like I've done something right. And that's, that's good enough for me. So, I mean, I agree with you though, that, uh, you know, not being able to go to the movie theaters. I mean, that was one of the big things that I always tried to cultivate was, like, let's do these events and, and every couple months or six months, we'll we'll do something fun in a movie theater and watch a movie. And it was never just watching the movie. It was an excuse to get together. Right. It was, right. A, yeah. it was an excuse for me to come down there and hang out with my friends and show a movie. And maybe we sold a few Blu-rays and, and you know, maybe picked up a new fan or two. And I know there were people who would randomly come that just hated them because the moment they ended, they zipped out of there and I never heard from them again. But there've been a handful of people who just like took a chance on it and then became big contributors and fans and friends. And so, yeah, I just, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I definitely miss going to the movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping an eye on the news, but, um, actually I'm going to mention Jeff again. He's, he said recently, all of you were so, you know, doomsaying movie theaters and look what's going on. People can't freaking wait to race back in there. And I do sense that people feel that way um, after being cooped up for so long. I mean, I mean, yeah, I love going to the movie theater. So obviously it's on my mind, but it does seem like um, theaters are taking, you know, bigger chances, uh, really betting on people coming back. And I know mm-hmm. Alamo, like recently, uh release like they they hired my friend kelly kitchens who has worked as a publicist for them in the past they hired her back on they've talked about expanding more theaters i mean it's not it doesn't sound like it's going away so that's that's some good news you know light at the end of the tunnel stuff um and and... i think i think realistically um i think movie theaters 
we'll probably move maybe to a slightly different model. I think you're probably yeah. going to with more draft house type places where it's like not just a movie theater, but it's also a decent restaurant. I've you always know? said it'll uh, be like, you know, kind of like free play where, um, you know, that's like an old school arcade. I mean, those yeah. went away for 10 plus years and who goes to them? I mean, it's not kids. It's like people my age that just oh, yeah. is going, <laughs> you know, so, every chance I'm in the DFW area, I go to free play. I love old video games. So I'm there for hours until my feet hurt. Yeah, it's like, you know, the, and that's, it's when uh, I'm, I'm a big enough nerd to, before, again, that this, all this stuff was happening, I went to the symphony, I liked going to plays, I like going to, you know, Broadway shows. I mean, that's not something everyone does. That's like nerdy, right? It's niche. It's not. Oh. <laughs> and so movie theaters will kind of be like that, which in a way is like better. I feel like theaters will probably be, I don't know, quieter, you know, um, I, no, I more think intimate spaces. Um, I think I think uh, it's it. I think it's going to be the ones that survive will probably be smarter mm -hmm. and really. Uh, I think, um, for instance, uh, this theater that I use for uh, my premieres is a local place called The Heights, and it's a single screen theater that has actually been. It's the longest continuously running theater in the state of Minnesota. It it goes back to the silent era, like a hundred wow. years. Wow, and. Um, the owner of that um, took it over uh, in the early 2000s from the previous owner who was just running it as like a dollar theater, which mm -hmm. they don't really have dollar theaters anymore. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. It's like popcorn it is $20. I don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he's ref he refurbished it to look like the Art Deco style of like the 30s. And it's just it's gorgeous. Right. It's this old kind of movie house. It still has a Wurlitzer up front. You know, I mean, it's just it's beautiful. Uh, and he was having some trouble for a while. Um, I don't know, maybe five years ago and was thinking of maybe selling. And then he sort of hit pay dirt with specialty programming where he started doing themed week, you know, a day a week where it was all themed and he was doing, you know, finding retro films and he sells a 35 millimeter, uh, projector. So he was showing 35 millimeter and, and just like really leaning hard into the, hardcore moviegoers who want to see, you know, film noir movies or whatever on the big screen. And he has actually had like the best, like the last time I talked to him, he said he's had the best, like the most success since he started by wow. doing that, hitting, yeah. leaning really hard into the, the people who want to go to the movies as opposed to just, you know, playing whatever's at the multiplex. Yeah. I, I mean, when when draft house was open here i mean it's honestly kind of shameful the amount of money i would spend there like <laughs> i'm embarrassed about it i think i've talked about it on the show but like one of my memories in particular is i saw uh, one of the james bond films when it came out um so that was a rarity a new film um that i didn't own already but i went and you know we ordered oh we're gonna order the james bond martinis and they're like 15 dollars each and like you know we paid 20 dollars to sit down and by the time i left i was like that movie cost us a hundred dollars what you know and that was like a normal experience there <laughs> right. but i you know I'm, I'm not gonna say i'm a penny pincher but i i'm not like a lavish spender but for whatever reason, the the Alamo Drafthouse could make like dollars flat in my pocket, and uh, <laughs> Texas Theater, same thing. Um, but yeah, I you know any of those kind of niche places, 
that really cater to people that are obsessed with movies. Like that's, I'm not going to say it's an untapped market because some of these movie theaters really understand that. But I think like it's a bigger market maybe than people realize. And so I I agree with you. I think the ones that are going to stay open are the ones that really, really know how to cater to those people. Right. And I think that um, as a filmmaker, because I make these retro movies, uh, I've always tried to sort of set a, uh, tone and, and I don't know, I want to create like a, a classic movie going experience. You know what I mean? Um, you know, show newsreels or just do stuff to make people sort of feel the nostalgia of going to the movies and make going to the movies and being at the movie an experience almost wholly separate from the movie, but in, ex- you know, completely tied into whatever movie you're seeing. Cause I'm, I'm firmly of the belief that, uh, you, sometimes may love or hate a movie based on the experience you have while seeing it. Right. I want Absolutely. to sort of, and, and, and there's some movies that, that aren't great. Um, but I like, or just enjoy because of how I saw it or where I saw it. Like the movie Anaconda, you know, I mean, that movie's not great. Um, but I like it because when I saw it, the whole crowd was just being hilarious and it was fun. It became mm-hmm. an experience in its uh, in and above, you know, the uh, separate from the movie itself, but again intertwined with the movie. So now, whenever I see it, I think back to that experience, and it's it's coupled in my mind as, oh yeah, this movie's terrible, but God, it was it's fun because I had so much fun seeing it. I don't know if I'm taking this thought process too far, but I know for me personally, like I would describe myself as an introvert that loves people. And I think movies are like the perfect thing for me because it's like two hours, it's in the dark, it's a shared experience, but then you can kind of like peace out after. Like there's just something about it that makes it the ideal social event for me. But it's also, (laughs) it's not interactive. You don't go in and you talk next to people quietly. Uh, The lights (laughs) are down. You you can't be staring at your phone or you're a jerk. Uh, You know, and I feel like it's like you get, you can get lost in in a great movie or in a great experience of seeing a movie and you get sort of lost in that moment and this is why i love going to the movies and it's hard for me to ever articulate exactly why but it's like you get lost in a, a good story a well-told story or even a bad one where you're just laughing through the whole thing because it's not great but mm-hmm. you're having an experience that is both communal but also individualistic at the same time yeah you're yeah that's with- that's a perfect way to put it Yeah, you're there with a group of people and like someone laughing might make you laugh. Someone gasping may, you know, raise your anxiety level or whatever. And so it becomes this communal experience, but you're still experiencing it alone. And so Mm -hmm. it's the perfect metaphor for life is really what it is. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting really deep here. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's it's and that's why I love going to the movies. It's like when I feel like the last one of the last places in the modern world where you are sort of stuck doing one thing ideally without any distraction. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think we've just got so many screens in front of us all the time (laughs) that they're competing with each other at this point. And so the movie theater is like that when I've seen movies in theaters, um, there are some films that I liked and then realized I was actually obsessed with after seeing them with zero distractions because I'm, I'm easily distracted. So right. yeah, I completely, That's I completely cool. agree with that. 
But yeah, uh, and so, you know, even watching a movie at home, you can pause it. You can take breaks. You can, you know, uh, check your phone or whatever. But in a movie theater, it's like you're in that seat for the duration. Maybe you got to get up and go to the bathroom, but you can't stop it. So you got to hurry. You got to get back, uh, yeah. you know, and it's just like you're there and you're experiencing it and you're not tempted to look at your phone. If you are, you shouldn't be going to the movies. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, I feel like it's for me, it's like the it's the last place you can really just hone in. Uh, and it's for me better than live theater. Um, I like live theater, but live theater always feels a little like. I don't know, like uh, there's always this fear in the back of my head that they're going to pull me up on stage and I'm not ready and I don't want to do it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not at like a comedy show, probably not, but no, probably not. But there's like (laughs) this this chaotic element to it where Mm -hmm. it's like something weird could happen. Um, (laughs) And I like I said, I like theater just fine. But in a movie, it's like and this is why I like making movies as opposed to, say, doing theater is you lock it in and it's done. And here it is. This is it. And you just experience it as is. You know what you're going to get. You know, it's not going to change from time to time. There's a continuity to it and a comfort to it that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's nice to just sort of like be like, I'm here to experience this. And, it's, uh, it, you know, it's like reading a book. I like reading books because, again, it's permanent. This is what it is. There's no changes. But books, that's a, a solitary pursuit. This, like I said, it's a solitary pursuit, but surrounded by people who are experiencing the same thing at the same time. Very Uh, true. Very true. There's so many moments in watching movies that like stick out of just, you know, like the moment at the end of Avengers uh, uh, Infinity War uh, when it's like the end. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, holy crap, they just ended it there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just feeling in the theater. I will never forget that moment. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah, no, 100%. And hopefully, we're close to getting back to that point. Yeah. So, I'm back. so that was a optimistic. side tangent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For an hour. Um, you and I do this every time. Um, I think people know what to expect. <laughs> uh, if, if they see my name, they're like, oh, this is going to be a triple episode. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. You know, I, I, I planned on talking about the movie with you, but I think, you know, it's sort of also an opportunity to just talk about your process, um, you know, your your passion for going to the movie theater and all that. So I think I think it was pretty on brand. OK, good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was my intention. Uh, was there anything in particular about the film that you wanted to to make sure that we touched on? Uh, no, I mean, honestly, it's just, I think, uh, we touched on it a little bit, but, uh, it's just one of the, the fun things about making the movie and the movie as a whole is that it does kind of serve as a, as an interesting time capsule to the year that was, you know, I mean, uh, the, the subject matter was built specifically because of what was going on with COVID. Um, you know, just the, 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 the situation, the shooting all in my house with just my family. And so it was, it's fun. I think it's going to be interesting to look back on it um, yeah. in several years time, not only as a, as a time capsule for my own children, but then also just to be like, Oh yeah, this was, this was 2020. Um, and just something very specific to a very specific moment in time. Um, and I, I, 
I just think it's fun. And that was all I was going for was like, let's just make something. I would say it's stupid, but I mean that in like the best way possible. Like it's just goofiness and, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's not meant to be heavy in any way. It's just meant to literally be like a distraction, uh, that sort of makes you feel good and makes you giggle. And that was, that was it. It was just, I want to <laughs> laugh about stuff. And in addition, uh, I should say, I guess, um, we talked about the sort of the concept of the Phantom Lake kids. What's interesting to me about the Phantom Lake kids in particular uh, is not just that they're like my kids, so I'm doing something with my family, which is fun, is that I have enough movies now and enough sort of established things. You talk about tropes and little like in jokes and things that, uh, you know, run through throughout all the movies. Uh, I thought it was fun to create uh, a group of people who are kids who are growing up in this universe and sort of their perspective on things, because to them, all of this is totally normal. This is their reality, right? Mm -hmm. This is the way it is. There are monsters, there are aliens, there's crazy stuff that happens. And they're sort of like commenting on it because <laughs> that's the reality. So it's, it's kind of fun to sort of get a little meta with the whole thing of these kids being like, yeah, did you hear about this monster thing? Did you hear about this thing? Which to us would be crazy, but to them is totally normal. <laughs> well, it's amazing how quickly we accept things as normal and we've learned that this year. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Well, where, where, uh, where can people see this movie? Where can they purchase it? Well, uh, again, we released it completely digitally and I hope, I'm hoping someday uh, we can do maybe a, a double feature of family kids movies at the draft house or something. Cause they tend to be shorter, right? Uh, because they're just cheesy kids movies basically. Um, but, uh, you can watch it online at, uh, Vimeo.com. Uh, in fact, if you go to the unseen invasion.com, it'll take you to my website, which is St. Euphoria.com. It'll take you specifically to the page for unseen invasion. From there, you can get links to, uh, watch it online on Vimeo or, um, you can purchase the DVD or Blu-ray, which is available now. Uh, eventually, um, I'm going to put it uh, probably on my Roku channel, which I, I have a Roku channel called Drive-In Monsters, where you can watch my movies. Uh, and and so I'm, if there's one thing that I've really picked up on and changed and evolved over the last year is sort of like changing the way I release movies and and you know, having windows where you can only get it certain places before it moves into another place, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Sort of the old model of like, we'll put a movie in theaters and then I'll go away for a while and then it'll be on home video. It's kind of like that where I did, uh, when I released it, I did a special premiere version, which was had an extra hour of content of like interviews with the kids. But then also I did a whole uh, goofy um, introduction and all this stuff and there was other special features that you didn't get anywhere else. And that was just for three weeks. And then after that, it just went to a movie only version online. Uh, and then the DVD and Blu-ray came out and the DVD has some special features and the Blu-ray has more special features. And then from that point, eventually it'll be available in other places to stream. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm going to put it on Amazon prime at this point, simply because Amazon prime has become quite, difficult 
for uh, independent filmmakers uh, mm-hmm. in that they're kind of ripping us off at this point. Um, they make billions and billions of dollars, but uh, I get pennies. Uh, and I'm constantly putting this out there because I want people, especially people who like movies, like listen to your podcast, to know that Amazon Prime is not great for independent filmmakers. Um, mm. I know the convenience of it is great. I understand that. I watch stuff on streaming channels all the time. That's it's the convenience is way better than is just much easier than physical media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still a physical media person. Um, I still like owning physical media because there's special features on the physical media you cannot get anywhere else. But the the reason why Amazon's kind of terrible is that they pay people pe- like nothing, literally pennies per view. Um, in December, uh, I always have my best numbers streaming wise on Amazon, which makes sense. It's December. It's cold. People are getting together with their families or watching a lot of movies and TV. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, last December I had uh, 2.3 million minutes of streaming numbers on Amazon for all my movies, 2.3 million minutes streamed. Uh, and I made like $200. Wow. Yes. I mean, a lot of eyeballs are on Amazon Prime, um, but independent filmmakers like myself get nothing. Uh, We literally get, if you watch the, if you were to watch one of my movies on Amazon um, from beginning to end, I may, may get two cents. That's crazy. I know it's, 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 it's insane. Uh, Whereas, you know, if you buy a, a DVD, it costs you 10 bucks, but you own it forever. And uh, no one can really take it away from you. Uh, <laughs> True. The creator has just made way more than two cents. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So I just, if someone out there is listening and they, they, they like certain independent filmmakers or, or content creators, you know, if you want to help them survive, you know, Pick up physical media. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, <laughs> try, we'll... try and find ways to support them if you're watching. Because I mean, you could watch my entire collection on Amazon, and it cost you nothing, and I would make about thirty cents. Yeah, it really seems to to only work for the giant it studios. Re- I guess it really only does. Uh, yeah. And even that, I don't even think the giant studios are making that much either. I think. I mean, Amazon... they were pretty upset when they found out things were streaming. Some of them, <laughs> so yeah. you know, like well, we're we're going uh, not into theaters and just streaming. So yeah. And I think that's why so many companies now have their own streaming services is because right. that's the only way to actually make some of the money back. Mm-hmm. Uh, because all these other places like Netflix and and Amazon. We're really just taking everybody for a ride. I mean, it's same things with uh, music artists and all this stuff. Is just that, you know, I mean, you listen to an album on on Spotify, and the artist maybe gets a fraction of a cent. Yeah, even if you buy the album, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. they have to tour. That's how they make money. Right. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just putting that out there. If people are big fans of something, you know, try to support them in other ways other than just watching something on Amazon. Yeah. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, um, did you want to talk a little bit about, you know, just kind of maybe a quick tribute to Michael? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we mentioned him a little bit, um, you know, him being the, the sort of idea guy. Um, 
and really Michael was was a huge part of helping me build the the Mimiverse fan base down there. Um, you know, I didn't even meet him the first time he bought one of my movies. I wasn't there. I, he, he was at Texas Frightmare, uh, and it was a year I wasn't there, and he bought some of my movies. And, you know, he started, he started emailing me like, hey, man, I really like your movies. Uh, he's like, we <laughs> back out here because I want to meet you. And I was like, okay, weirdo. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I get that occasionally and usually and every time basically it's been cool, but it's always like, all right. And he was just persistent and nice. And we started talking and I finally got down there and met him and, you know, we just hit it off. And he he really was just such a an advocate for everything I do. Uh, and in the process, you know, he'd helped me out at all these events and, and he got me into the draft house and he just he got all this stuff, everything basically down there that became you know, the, the Mimiverse down there was because of him. I mean, he got it all together and, and we hung out a lot. Every time I was down there, we'd have dinner, we'd hang out at my tables at conventions. He'd come to the screenings and help me sell stuff. And so we became really good friends. And so, you know, just sort of losing him in this way where it's like, I couldn't even go down there. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen him for months you know, it was really difficult and it's still difficult for me whenever I think about, Oh, I can't wait to get back down there. Son of a bitch. Michael won't be there. You know, or it's like, I still have those yeah. moments. I want to, I want to tell him, Hey, I'm doing this. Or I have this idea. What do you think? And I can't. And it just, it drives me, it drives me crazy sometimes. And, uh, he was really, as far as just my movies are concerned, he was kind of the heart and soul of the, the fan base down there, you know? And, you know, he wasn't above like um, coercing people to come see my movie. <laughs> he would you private know? message me every single time. I think if I'm going to be 100% honest, I, you know, we talked about people being busy, having other stuff to do. Uh, he would message me personally every single time you were here and he would ask me and then he would, he would announce, hey, we're not selling enough tickets. So where are y'all? <laughs> like you said you would come. Um, and I finally came and I don't have an excuse. It wasn't that I was disinterested. It wasn't that I didn't want to go. I, you can come up with a thousand excuses to stay home. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I finally went and had such a great time. And, um, you know, I, I was friends with Michael by that point. We met at Alcon actually. Um, my husband saw his Alfred and just tapped me on the shoulder or actually he ran up to him and said, Oh my God, I, I have to show you to my wife. She's, she's going to be so excited. And so he came over and got me and then I went over there and talked to him for a little bit. Um, and then we hit it off from there. Um, and then when I made the podcast, he was one of the first people to like immediately get on board and be super excited about it and message me about it, ask to be on it um, often and giving me advice about stuff he thought. And uh, I remember, you know, he was promoting your your uh, films a lot. And I, I kind of got up the courage to be like, hey, um, you know, what if what if I interviewed Christopher? And he asked me, well, do you want me to like introduce you to him? And I was like, sure, you know, that would be really helpful, particularly because, you know, again, you may not know this from listening to this podcast, but I'm pretty shy. And so yeah. I was very nervous <laughs> and just not good at like promoting myself. I'm, I'm terrible at it, honestly. So um, 
he he kind of set up that we met and then I, I I don't know I'm sure you didn't feel this way but I felt like a weirdo like I roll up with my little laptop like hello I'm here to interview you and um you know I you you guys were really busy that weekend and you're kind of having trouble getting away and finding a time and then we did and then it's it, you know went really well and then I don't know. Next thing you know, like I'm at every single one of your uh, premieres and <laughs> it just like it felt like overnight. But all, all that energy was because of Michael. Well, that was that was the power of Michael Cross. Am I right? I mean, uh, he had mentioned you to me as like, oh, this podcast, it's really cool. Like You guys got to like you guys <laughs> got like three like, listeners. <laughs> it's like, you got to talk because I think this would be great. And I think you guys would really you know, you'd hit it off. I bet you guys would 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 be great. Uh, just to talk through the stuff and, you know, I want to get her your movies and maybe we can help promote your movies and then promote the podcast. I mean, that was the thing with Michael. He was like, like the, the joke I always made was that, you know, if, if, if our, all of our connections were a spider web, he was the damn spider, right? Yeah. He was yeah. the guy who would bring everybody together. He, once we were doing a, a screening of house of ghosts around his birthday. Cause he wanted to do, he wanted to see it in a movie theater with the live show and the whole thing we do with it. And he was like, it was around his birthday and he's like, I hate celebrating my birthday. I hate when people know when my birthday is, but I'm going to tell everybody it's my birthday and they have to come because I want people to show up to your thing. And that was the kind of thing. It was like, okay, so you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to go outside your, your realm of like things you want people to even know about you just to help get people to come see my dumb movie. I don't know how to phrase this, but like, basically I feel like I met him at a time when I was looking for something and um because like the germ of the podcast really was like just having a movie club at first i was like i just want to find other people to chat with and then it kind of evolved into the podcast um and then like i said it kind of expanded socially through him really um and also he always uh he was one of my patrons which is why i still mention him you know every episode and uh and, and not just a patron but he would like Kind of like with you, he would send me ideas like, oh, we should do this. Uh, you should do a live show. I think he was like one of the first people to suggest that. And also yeah. my first guest <laughs> on a live one. Um, and so, you know, he really contributed a lot. He was the coolest, most supportive big brother in the world. And I just, God, I just, I still miss him so much. I don't know. I've thought a lot about how to do this and... It's the only way I could think of that I would be able to <laughs> like, again, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's just hard to, to have words about it, but it's tough. And I just I guess the biggest thing that I want to say is just that, you know, how motivating he was and how kind he was and how supportive he was and how that really did have like a big impact on me and the show. And I think that if I could take away something you know, a lesson from him, it would be like, you know, it costs you, well, it can cost, <laughs> but um, it doesn't cost a lot to be supportive. You know, right. I think that's like something that's probably going to stick with me forever is like trying to be supportive to as many people that you know, and their projects and their passions, because it's like the biggest gift you could give somebody. Yeah, there was something it was it was it was very selfless. I mean, yeah, he liked having fun and hanging out and being sort of part of the 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 gang and all this stuff. But uh, it was never like he was like, I'm going to throw money at this guy and then be like, hey, I'm his manager. You know what I mean? It was never like that. It was just like 
he would never even care. I mean, he probably wouldn't even care if we if if he were ever mentioned. He just wanted to make sure that this thing he loved, that he wanted to to get out and get more eyeballs on it. That's all he wanted was to make sure that this thing he loved would get a little more attention because if he loved it, surely other people would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the guy. I really did. And I mean that. Uh I I he was like family to me, um, in a way that that maybe I didn't really realize fully until he was gone. And you were saying earlier how, oh, after someone passes away, then suddenly you're like, he was the greatest guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you and it's so hard to express no like, okay, everyone says that, but it's different this time. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, the truth Michael, is people are missed, but yeah. <laughs> yeah with, with Michael Cross, it was honest to God. That's the way he was. That was him. Yeah. Um, this wasn't, like, I wouldn't have to, stretch to find good things to say about him i mean it's just like i say good things about him because he was good and he was a good person and he was he was just a fantastic guy yeah. um sure he got a little grumpy when he woke up after a hard night of having fun at a convention <laughs> but you know he always bring me brought me diet cokes and then would go you know um eat something and and get some caffeine in him and then he was right as rain but he was pretty uh, real like you know he 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 did get grumpy. That's that's kind of funny you say that because yeah, he was a little grumpy, but but also like the nicest person ever. He was like both oh, things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was curmudgeonly in a very lovable way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, just little things like when you're talking about him being supportive, he would he would message me and be like, "We should rent a studio, and you know, we'll record your podcast there." And I was like, "What?" Like. <laughs> I was like, do you realize how rinky-dink my operation is? Like, but he was just like that. He was always thinking like five steps ahead of what oh, yeah. of what could be, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, as somebody that is not, uh, I don't think that way. And I don't like. It took me forever to even just do a live show because I'm like, that's for special people that can <laughs> do that, not for a dumb dumb like me. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I've never felt qualified. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, uh, I really like your show and it motivated me. And I'm like, that shocks me because I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Kudos to me for faking it till I make it. Um, I, think, but... I think that's all of us, honestly. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, my, I, like you said, Michael always had these ideas of things we should do and things we should try. And, you know, these movie ideas he'd throw at me are like, oh, we should rent out the Texas theater. And I'm like, uh, okay uh then what you know <laughs> yeah like... then um how do i fill it yeah it's like i would always worry about stuff like that and of course you know if you're gonna grow as you know i, I don't know how else to put this i don't really consider myself like an artist but if you're gonna grow at something you're doing you're gonna have to have those tough times i certainly have done many panels where there was no one there <laughs> and that's just part of you know uh, getting somewhere but it, I went from you know uh giving a panel to no one to you know getting to do that at Dragon Con and getting to do that at the Comic Con here in Dallas um and I don't always get to but I think his support helped me like realize that I could do that right. <laughs> because I've always treated the podcast like it's just something I want to do and, you know, I even hesitate to call people that listen to it listeners because that feels weird to me. Like um, every episode, I'm a co-host of whoever's with me that 
particular time. They're not just like a guest. They're making the content with me. So, um, and a lot of those people that do that are also, you know, Patreon supporters that are, I mean, they're not, it's not like paying bills. It's like literally making sure the podcast continues. And so, um, you know, and it's a small following and I've never, you know, people are like, oh, you should do this and do that and like grow it really big. And I'm like, I just have like very little desire to do that. I only want to keep doing it as long as I enjoy it. And as long as I'm able to like talk to everyone and have a real connection. And I think maybe that's what he liked about it. Um, and same with you because, you know, uh, your films are great, but a big part of that too is just, you know, your connection to, to the fans and stuff. And, you know, maybe he started, uh, uh, you know, his conversation with you just telling you he loved your movies, but it, it grew into something way bigger than that, I think. And a lot of that is, is, you know, I think thanks to you. Well, and I just, I, I don't think that, um, I really just, I don't think I, I, Without meeting Michael, I really don't think that uh, I'd probably be even where I am now um, because, you know, he did come at a time when, you know, times were a little weird and sort of, you know, in flux and, and sort of opening up this new place to show my movies. And, and you know, he got me into all these conventions and, and really helped build a fan base, um, but then also... I don't know, just from a standpoint of like make, making friends and stuff of just like uh, sort of starting this almost like new chapter in my life. You know what I mean? Which uh, bleeds over into the movies and, 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 and being able to continue doing it. And, you know, he if he knew I was struggling with something, he would find ways to throw an event or he would, he <laughs> That's would so throw awesome. some money at me or, or just like buy my you know merchandise that wasn't selling you know it was like oh so uh, no one's buying these these uh these lobby cards give me a set you know it was like okay buddy like he had a huge collection and i don't know that he even necessarily needed much of any of it but he was always just like jumping on stuff and like buying stuff and just any way he could help me either monetarily or just supportively or it was just it's a it's amazing. The guy was, like you said, one of a kind in every way. Yeah, I mean, he deeply cared about film. Yeah, he really did. Um, and I think there's a few of us out there that care, like, you know, I'm just gonna say it, a weird amount. <laughs> it's tied up in our emotions, uh, in our in our childhood memories, and in, in our day to day. And I think he really understood that, and he was supportive of that, where somebody else might be like. Hey, you know, skin weird. He's off. He was like, no, 100% full throttle. And right. I think sometimes you really need somebody like that in your corner. Um, and he and he was those things. So yeah, I'll definitely, uh, definitely miss him. And I think I, I'm sure every time you come on, we'll, you know, hopefully I won't make, you know, it too sad. <laughs> but <laughs> we will bring him up and talk about him because... I don't. I don't think important. this has been too sad. If I'm being honest, I think. Okay, a, I'm. I'm just always afraid of like. I think this has been a good amount of like, yeah. um, you know, really acknowledging what Michael, who he was, and what he did, and and just the person he was, and the things he did for us, and and uh, you know, just how genuinely he's missed in a in in a way that 
I don't know. I mean, it's just like I said, there's a Michael sized hole in the world and I just don't, I don't see how anyone can ever fill it because he was just larger than, I mean, he was like so larger than life, but also so reserved and, and, you know, private. And so it was like, I don't know. He was like a puppet master, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and now the strings aren't there. You really notice the strings aren't there. For sure. I think, uh, probably the best way to honor him is to just try to have some of those events again in the future and, you know, try to bring some of that energy. I mean, I feel like we're, you know, it sounds crazy, but probably the way I'm saying it, but like, it, it really does feel like if we gather together in his name, he's, it sounds religious, but you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. If we're all together, I think, you know, our fond memories of him, it, it's going to feel like he's there a little bit and that's going to be a good thing. And yeah, I mean, I think he would want us to keep doing that. I think it would make him really sad, you know, if he found out that we didn't. So it's definitely part of my motivation. I think he'd be Uh, pissed off, honestly. Yeah. Probably angry. (laughs) Like I wasted a lot of time then. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Back in shape. (laughs) But um, yeah. (laughs) um well christopher thank you for thank you so much for taking time to uh to chat with me about your new movie um again thank you for putting it out it was again i feel like it came out at just the right time i needed it that day and um you know thanks for coming on and and uh hope to have you back soon but before you go please plug yourself yeah, so uh, anyone listening to this who's gotten to this point in the show, uh, <laughs> if, you more, if, if you want to check out more of my work uh, or any of my work, uh, you can find my website at sainteuphoria.com, which is hard to spell and remember. So if you go to the giant spider or theunseeninvasion.com, actually it's unseeninvasion.com, not the unseen. Wow, edit that back. Uh, go <laughs> no to. Problem. Go to thegiantspider.com or unseeninvasion.com. You'll get to it. Look me up on Google. You'll find me. Uh, you can find me on social media. Um, a lot of my movies are available on Amazon Prime. Uh, I do have a Roku channel called Drive-In Movies, uh, Drive-In Monsters, uh, the official Roku channel of the Moomiverse. Um, otherwise, uh, you can watch all my movies on Vimeo. You can buy DVDs and Blu-rays of all of them. Um, just check me out. Uh, there's a lot of content uh, and a lot more coming. So Yay. I, I appreciate everyone, you know, checking out my stuff. For sure. Well, thanks and uh, have a good one. Thank you. 